Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Hype Squad podcast. My name's Katie, and today I'm very excited to bring back Camille for a very special, very exciting um, little interview. So do you want to say hi to everybody? Hello. Hello. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. Yes, it has been a hot minute, but life got crazy and, you know, you just pivot and adjust. So not a big deal. We're so excited to have Cam back to talk about something that we care very, very deeply about. And in case it hasn't been widely known, the hype squad in no way stands for any sort of racism. That's we're so anti-racist and to be able to have an open and honest conversation with Cam, I'm I'm very lit up about this. I don't know any other way to say that because having my best friend call me crying multiple times in a week while she's having to deal with emotions in 2021 that she shouldn't have to, it was just heart-wrenching. Not only is she going to be holding an amazing, amazing ride to support a fabulous fabulous organization, which I would love to touch on that if we have time. And then secondly, we decided that we would take this and try and inform people on like what it's like to one, grow up dealing with racism as a child, you know, and then also what it's like now. So with that being said, you want to, you want to kick it off? You want to do this? Yeah, I do. All right. So where we're going to kick it off. (laughs) I So like we were saying right before we started, I really was so moved, not in a positive way, but no other way to say it. I was really moved by that story you told me last week on telling your mom what to bring you or what to pack you for lunch. So why don't you tell everybody that story? Because I think it's so powerful. So let me start first with for those that don't know me and my background, Mm -hmm. Um, I moved I was born in Manila, which a lot of people actually don't know that, but I was actually born in Manila and my family and I moved to Guam when I was about two or three mm-hmm. and from Guam to North Carolina for a couple of years. And then eventually in Jacksonville, pretty much the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I think the story that I told you kind of portrays a little bit more of what people don't really understand of what it's like to be from an a family that migrated or immigrated from another country to the U.S. and a lot of the reasons why that's happened and why Asian Americans are actually on track to be the, the largest population of immigrants um, in the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a reason for it that a lot of people just don't really know a lot of the history that's not talked about. So I guess growing up, you know, I consider myself an American since I was a baby so it's for me it's kind of like a weird concept and growing up it was a little bit kind of confusing for me to kind of understand why did I have a Filipino passport but I was going to school in the U.S. Hmm. and 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 anything I said about even the last couple of years now um which I'll talk about the immigration process yeah I was going to say do you want to tell everybody yeah, when you became an immigrant, because it's later. I was not an official U.S. American citizen until 2013. Right. March or April of 2013 um, mm-hmm. was actually when I became officially a U.S. citizen. But for me, I've lived here all my life. 
this is all, you know, being in Florida and Jacksonville was all I knew. So growing up, what, one of the things I remembered was one, I was kind of already an awkward child to begin with. (laughs) I, I actually did not like to speak for some reason, like my niece today, her and I are very similar. I never spoke. I was always very quiet. And uh, even in class, I just, I always, you know, had good grades. I just mm-hmm. was never the one to be outspoken. And somewhere along my life, that changed, probably <laughs> more so towards the end of high school and college. But literally, my family would make fun of me because they would have to do roll call and make sure that I was actually in the car <laughs> because they wouldn't know if I was there or not. That's how quiet I was. Is so it that I'm, small person energy? <laughs> I, I was the youngest. And I was just naturally like, I'm, in, uh, I'm a natural introvert, which some people mm. think is crazy. But growing up, what I do remember, you know, even from kindergarten, I think my first real memories of me feeling like I was an outsider because I was the only Asian girl in class. There was in first grade, it was me and one other, there was only one other Asian boy in my class. And I, already being quiet as it as I was back then, you know, I was already feeling, growing up, you want to fit in, but you, you kind of right. don't fit in because you don't look like everyone else. And then the story I told you, you know, growing up, probably more elementary, maybe early middle school, in the Asian culture, especially in the Philippines, you know, the food and, and what, you know, even just from the food is very different we would eat a lot of rice all the time, even for breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Actually, if you go to the Philippines mm-hmm. today, that's still a thing versus the American culture. It's not. I mean, I learned how to eat pizza and chicken nuggets and tater tots <laughs> for lunch when I was younger, because that's not something that I grew up with. What I grew up with, what my grandma would feed me all the time would be rice and some Filipino dish or salmon rice and salmon eggs or something mm-hmm. and bringing there would be days where they would pack us lunch and they would pack us rice and um, a dish or something that they'd cook. And I'd bring it with me to school and we'd go into the cafeteria and everyone else is buying their food. You know, the cool kids get to go in in line and buy their food. They get pizza, they get chicken nuggets, they get to buy ice cream if they wanted to. And I felt a little weird because I'm the only, you know, Asian person or in that group. And I'm here going to heat my food in the microwave and eat rice, you know, for lunch. And the, you know, people are not, and still today, I think Asian cuisine is still not well known, especially Filipino cuisine. And Mm. sometimes it doesn't smell something like, like people are used to. So it, it ended up kind of, I would, I would say probably the right word was more embarrassed or just feeling like I didn't want to stand out from everyone because everyone else would just kind of give me weird looks like, what are you eating? Like, what is that? So we kind of stopped bringing lunch in and we would, my sister and I, ultimately when we got older, we ended up got, got to choose if we wanted to buy lunch or not. But, but that's how we learned how to eat American food was through school. It wasn't what we were eating at home. Mm-hmm. And it was something that we were trying to figure out. Well, at least in my mind, I don't think you think about it when you're growing up versus now when you're for this incident forced me to realize how different it was for me growing up. And the whole thing about the model minority myth is it's actually true. I am 
literally a living, breathing model minority myth that mm -hmm. I'm trying to break away from because of that's what we knew and that's what we learned. Now, our parents' generation of them immigrating from another country to the U.S. is a whole other story. And I think a lot of people question why, why, you know, was that the way of thinking and why was that how you guys were raised? And I mean, I think culturally people don't understand there's a huge culture difference between where right. you're, where you're from originally to the U.S. So number one, why the model minority myth exists today is because most Asian Americans that migrate from another country are literally moving here to establish a better life for themselves and their family. That's, mm -hmm. that's been the, that's literally the main, one of the main reasons why people do that. There's better opportunity. There's better education. There's better livelihood. I mean, the Philippines is a third world country. It's still right. considered a third world country. Yeah. You can, you can look at all the movies that people are making today about crazy rich Asians, but if you actually go to these countries, that's not the case. Right. I, for one, have seen that. I've lived it. I've, I've seen it. We would go there in, in the summer and my family was fortunate enough to have, you know, be able to go back quite often when we were younger, but it's such a huge difference. And the model minority myth exists, especially when we were, when we were raised and we were told, you know, you need to study hard. You need to just do what you need to do and try to not cause any trouble. We don't want to cause any trouble. We just want to be here and not do anything quote unquote bad. But what, what I think people don't understand with, with families that migrate or immigrate here the reason why that that is is because there's a fear of if you do get in trouble or if you do stand out or if you do rock the boat or if you do something that's going to make people look at you, there, there's a threat or there's like a fear of having to get kicked out of the U.S. and move back to your home country. So for us growing up, you know, although we were residents for a long time, here's the part that people don't also understand. The process to be a U.S. citizen is very gruesome. It's not just handing a piece of paper and being like, hey, right. let, me, let me get my, my citizenship. Yeah, I've lived here all my life. But, but at the time when I applied, it was close to $1,500 just to apply per person. Wow. So imagine with my mom, me being the youngest, it was my mom being a single mom plus three kids. There's no way that, that there was for her to be able to just no. submit, you know, six grand, six to eight grand just apply for us. So we decided as a family, you know what, we're, we have a green card, which is ironically, when you're a green card resident, you're also called an alien, quote unquote alien. I, I don't think a lot of people knew that. Right. I, I think, think it's also listed on the green card itself. Um, if I, it I says alien. I still have mine because I think so. Because I have, to, I think <sighs> you have, when I had applied, you'd have to turn in all of your paperwork, turn in all of that stuff. So I might have had to turn it all in and, and, they, um, the government basically kept yeah, it, but, it, but I, I specifically remember the green card is there's a U.S. citizen resident, but also like your paperwork and all of that is technically considered an alien. And you have all of the rights for the most part of being an American citizen without mm -hmm. number one, obviously the security that you're not going to get kicked back to your home country, but number two, you actually can't vote. So not only was I 20, let me think about this, 23, 20, 23, probably when I applied for my citizenship, um, I had never voted before until I had my paper. 
uh, until I had my citizenship in place. So that's didn't one they make thing you, that you really, really can't do. Didn't they make you bring your citizenship this year to vote? Or are you were trying to look for I it? I did. Yeah. I actually, in order for me to register to vote in Tennessee, um, I needed, because the, by the time I had my original license from Florida, I didn't, I was 16. I didn't have my American citizenship then yet. I was still a U.S. Mm-hmm. resident. So when, now, when I had to reapply to be a voter in Tennessee, they needed to see that document and wow. actually prove that I was an American citizen. So I had to bring all of that paperwork back with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wanted to back step like two steps because you and I had had a few conversations about how other Asian Americans in your life had been responding to what transpired in Atlanta. And we, you had had mixed emotions on that. And we had had a conversation over the Asian culture is so based in respect. Like I've, I have always very much respected Asian culture. I love Asian food. I love Asian music. Like I, I grew up with a lot of Asian friends. And so this was not something that I had seen as like complete disrespect, but I don't know that people know how much Asian culture is based in respect, respect of your elders, respect of your heritage, all these other things. And we had had a conversation that you thought a lot of people were afraid to rock the boat out of respect. But then we also, you also said they were afraid to rock the boat because of being deported. So is there, do you think that there is, I'm trying to word this. I don't know exactly how I just had like had this thought. Do you think that people are here like Asian Americans? Do you think that they are more concerned with rocking the boat out of respect or out of like that fear of being sent back? Or do you think it's just kind of a culmination of both or it's different now because you've got a mixture of the generation. It's different because of the mixture. You've got our generation, which I'm technically, because I wasn't born here, I'm not technically first generation. Um, my nieces are because they're born here, but right. technically because I, I wasn't, I was still born in Manila, but our generation is so different now because we're so immersed with, within American culture. So I consider myself like a 50, 50, like mm. I, I grew up under with the Asian culture and understanding. And yes, respect is a huge thing, huge, 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 just being able to, it's not even about the let me put it this way. It's, if you disagree or if you say what your opinions are to elders or your elders, um, sometimes that can be taken as you're going blatantly against them. And it's not, it's not that. It's just you have your own separate opinion. And I've seen even personally on my side and in my family, my extended family, where there is, there is now starting to be a divide in that way of thinking because we know what it's like to grow up in America. We have this experience of what that's like versus the older generation, which there's this is still large majority of the Asian families that move here. It's a culmination of respect, but also it could be one or the other. The whole being deported and the whole being taken back to the country might just be like a general comment in a sense. I'm, I'm generalizing that because of the history of how, how hard and how much people have worked to get to actually come to America, that they don't want to lose that. So I think it's more, it's not really being deported, right? It's, it's about losing the opportunity of losing uh, what they've already done and accomplished so far for them and their family just to get here. 
the thought of losing all of that is what they what most Asian Americans don't want to lose. And yeah. it's a pride thing also, but at the same time, it's it's just a, a way of culture that's very different. And I actually, I talked about this yesterday with Gerald, um, who's over the Everybody Versus Racism group, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about later. Yes. I talked to him about this yesterday because I said, Gerald, I... I have now just started to really kind of process and understand the differences and how people have been reacting. And I, and he agreed with, and I said, for me, the way that I see it is Asian Americans um, have, have, or have, or had a choice, had probably a better word, a choice of leaving their country and moving to America to start a life, to start a new life or um, for an opportunity. African-Americans, Black Americans, I think what's deep-rooted in this whole conversation about racism, Mm -hmm. they didn't have a choice in in their history. They didn't have a choice. No. They were forced. And the experience, and that's where the divide, I think, that sometimes people kind of forget to see is racism is racism regardless, right? But there's a different type of experience between both cultures both ethnicities because of the history of what happened. So there is here Asian Americans see it as a privilege to be able to get here to America. It's a huge privilege. Again, think of the third world countries. Japan, Korea, I think China is not considered a third world country, mm-hmm. but majority of why Asian Americans move here is because of all the opportunity to live the American dream. Right. That is where their mindsets are coming from versus when we talk about BLM and we talk about Black Americans and African Americans and their history, it's, it is a different pain that they have to or endure that we are going through. Mm-hmm. Regardless, they're all the same, right? Hateful acts, racism, the definitions of it the same, the experiences are just different. I want to ask you more a little bit about your childhood growing up with racism. So like, what would you like to touch on there? Like growing up and facing racism, what was the biggest like defining moments or even just things that like really kind of stick out in your mind that were so racist to you? So I'm not saying I I have never, it's, it's actually probably something in my mind that I've kind of, again, I've just brushed off because we've been taught, you know what? I don't care what people think. I don't care what they say. I just have to brush off and move on and and do what I do. And that's how we were raised. But growing up, there was, there's still hateful comments that are happening today. And when you're younger, it's almost even more hurtful because you don't know any better. Mm. And, and it's almost like makes you feel very insecure about yourself. Right. So for example, I spent a summer in the Philippines and came back and education in the Philippines is very intense. And that's, especially actually in Asia in general, way farther ahead than education in America as a whole in the younger years. And we would get tutored. We would study sometimes during the summer. That's actually how I learned how to speak in Tagalog, how to read in Tagalog. Mm -hmm. And one summer I came back, my sister stayed and I was there and I had an accent, an accent speaking English. No way. And even my sister said, oh my gosh, you have an accent. And I go, really? And then she goes, yeah. And so I had to, before school started that summer in middle school, I had to like prep myself and just watch how I spoke and 
tried to like not have an accent as much because I didn't want people to make, yeah, I didn't want people to make fun of me. And then, you know, one of, you know, this is kind of crazy because I've always joked around about it, which is very true. My family never calls me by my first name. They've always called me Camille. Right. Oh my God. I always forget. Everyone, everyone I know calls me by Camille or Cam. Yeah. And since I was in actually this, that only really started toward the end of high school. And the reason, I, I, and again, my whole family, all my friends called me Camille, but in school, my first name is really Maritz, M-A-R-I-V. Sounds simple enough to say. It sounds easy to pronounce, but you would not believe how many times people would butcher the name. Oh, I'm and sure. It made me feel just very uneasy. You know, you, you get called, uh, there's, there's Jessica, Lauren, Michelle, and then they struggle with pronouncing your name. And then sometimes kids would laugh when they would say it wrong. And yeah, because sometimes they would, they would add a T and they would call me Mar- Maritz. And I always kind of anticipated whenever it was roll call that they would butcher my name. Yeah. Long story short. So I always anticipated, I always had to correct people. And then eventually by the time I was done with high school, I was like, you know what, screw it. Like nobody ever calls me that. Let me just go by Camille. And that lasted all through college. Even when I am in my job today, I actually, because nobody calls me by my first name in Outlook, mm-hmm. it doesn't even say Maris. I actually asked them, do you go by Maris or do you go by Camille? I'm like, I go by Camille. I'm like, oh, okay, well, and we can update your, your email if you want. I'm like, sure. But you don't think about it because it's just one of those, oh, yeah, nobody ever really calls me that. But the main reason why nobody calls me that is one, I've never really answered to at home, but two, right. more importantly, I hated how people butchered my name and I would constantly always have to correct them. And sometimes people didn't really care to even bother how I corrected them. There are people today who see my license and they're like, oh, that's a pretty name. Like they're, they're curious and they're naturally curious and it's not everyone, but the little things that add up, you know, in middle school, I was, I had two, uh, it was funny. We were very multi, <laughs> we were very diverse, actually. It was very best friends. There's uh-huh. three of us girls in middle school that you kind of like were your were your group. One was one girl was white, one girl was black, and one girl was me. We are literally the definition of a multicultural group in middle That's school. That's so pretty, we, though. We didn't even think about that. You don't even think about that in middle school. You're just like, oh my gosh, these are my best friends. There would still be people. You have the mean girls in that start in middle mm-hmm. school. You know, the yeah. mean girls, the cool kids versus the non-cool kids, the nerds. I was always part of like the nerdy group and right. I tried to be part of the cool group, but I was never really into sports. I didn't have, you know, all the really cute outfits that all the cool girls had. You know, my mom was a single mom and we would, we, we learned very young. You earn, you get what you earn. And so that's growing up, it was like, one of those, you just try to fit in when you can. And even, even I know I've kind of seen it. My brother doesn't really talk about it as much when he grew up, but even with my sister and I too, it's, we've, we've felt that way. And then what ultimately ended up happening was in middle school, we didn't have very many Asians in the classes. And then we go to high school, which my sister and I were, were together in high school for, I think her, her senior year, I was a sophomore. So we were together in high school for one year, in the same high school for one year. And it was a magnet school. Naturally, uh, I think because that school, you know, the way that you have to apply and you have to have good grades and just it's so much more culturally diverse than yes. the local neighborhood school that we went to. 
there's more Asians there, which for us was kind of like a breath of fresh air in a sense, because we finally found people who kind of understood what it was like to live at home without having to kind of like tiptoe around, you know, and, and I wouldn't say hide, but kind of, you know, we'd go in and we'd talk about, oh, what'd you been for lunch today? And it'd be, we wouldn't have to feel like we had to explain ourselves all the time. And it's now starting to realize like, you know, out after college, um, and then you go through my Instagram page and, and look back at like the past posts. It's like, wait, were you only friends with Asian people? I'm like, not really. No, I'm friends with everybody. But, but the people that I was closest with in high school and in college were naturally Asians because we collectively, it just feels like we're more comfortable with each other without having to explain so much of our cultural differences. Not to say that I'm not, friend, I'm not I was not friends with um, anyone else outside of my race back mm-hmm. in school, but that's just how we naturally kind of grew together. Mm-hmm. So did I experience people calling me names? Yes. Uh, people still today don't really can tell that I'm full Filipino. I'm a, I'm a little bit, you can tell. So even within Asian cultures, I talked about this with Gerald too. There's, there's also colorism within Asian cultures as well. Filipinos are naturally tanner than, um, you know, Jap- Japanese or Korean, but sometimes people can't really tell. They don't know how to ask or if they do, they don't really guess that I'm Filipino. And again, there's just lack of either lack of exposure there or lack of knowledge or just lack of not really sure how to ask. But yeah, I've been called names. Um, I've been made fun of. And, and then throughout the years, and admittedly, even at work, when I first started, I am literally the only Asian in my, as a leader, <laughs> let me put it that way. As a leader that I've worked for this company for nine years now in May, I am still the only Asian female um, at my level. But even before then, when I first started, you know, it was all about the the living the American dream means you work hard at what you do to get to be successful and to fit in in a culture where everyone around you is is white American. It just naturally, that's just naturally what you do. So we would joke around and then we actually talked about this in a group chat at work with other Asian Americans and we joke around about just Asian jokes that people even you see in movies and TV shows. You kind of just joke about it because, because some of it might be true, but some of it is because they actually just don't really understand culture. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't make me really think about it until all of this stuff happened with Atlanta and it's not anything new. I think what, what people need to understand is, all of this stuff happening, all of these things that people say now, all these hate crimes and what hateful things people are saying is not new. It just got worse this past year. So let's break that down into it getting worse because you went overseas right before COVID got bad and mm-hmm. then came back. And so like, what I guess like, let's break it down. Like before you went overseas and like after you went overseas, like, did you see like a night and day difference? Did you personally experience anything? And then like, let's actually talk about why it's gotten so bad and like crap that's actually happened because it's, it's not all right. So me personally, I didn't experience anything different. And, and I think the reason why is because I'm an American. I, I don't have an accent. I don't have, you know, the, the, my style is very much immersed in American culture. True. So if anybody meets me today, 
probably not something that they would immediately immediately say to me directly. But outside of me, and I think of it as, uh, let me just say for my mom, because I've actually not this past year, but before I've seen where people have been very rude to her because of how she speaks and Mm. she has an accent. Right. And it's not that she doesn't understand what people are saying. It might just be, she says it differently or she just has an accent when she speaks English. Mm -hmm. But for, for Asians around the country where they um, don't speak good English or they're not yet immersed in American culture, you know, they still, it's weird to say this, but it's true. It's an image, right? Like they look like they come, call it uh, fresh off the boat, which is, which is, that's actually a show on Netflix. It is a show. It's, it's, it's so enough like a really good show if you're, if you're fob if you're fear of fob meaning like you literally just came from asia That's to america and for those who are not as fortunate with the language barrier piece they can immediately get racial slurs like right away and what happened with covid because because it started from china mm-hmm. and the assumption being made that this covid 19 came from China, made it more imminent and and easier for people to get targeted because they were Asian. The false correlation of doing that and saying it, where the most powerful leader in the country is saying it, allowed these other people to start assuming it and making those assumptions and targeting these people that they would see is what started all of these hate crimes increasing since last year. I agree. I don't think your job as as a leader is to inspire hate. It should never be that. You should be mindful with your words and inspire, you know, while we're all dealing with loss and pain, inspire community. We saw this insane rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans due to the COVID-19 pandemic simply because it originated in China, which doesn't give anybody a right at all to increase hate crimes. Do you personally know anybody that was targeted or, you know, Um, this year? Not personally because of what happened and all of this that's being brought to light now with so many of these hate crimes coming up, you have to look at the states where there's predominantly Asian communities, California, New York, there's South and Florida, there's some, but not as imminent there. DC has quite a bit. Seattle, Washington, Mm. a lot of Asian immigrants there. It's closest to Asia on the West Coast. Right. But with Atlanta, and I'll talk about that in a second. I'll go into more detail about it. But after the Atlanta attack and massacre, we would check in with each other to see how everyone was doing, all me as my friends and family. And one of my friends from California who um, we had a mutual friend through college. I knew him in college, not super close, but know, know him. And she had mentioned that he lived in, I think it's like Laguna Beach area. I, I'm not too familiar with California geography, but his family, very wealthy family that's done very well for themselves, very business um, oriented family that lives in California. I've been to the house actually a couple of years ago for our mutual friend's wedding. And it was beautiful. They, they're a very successful family. But their son that we know, their youngest son, actually goes to surf um, in Laguna Beach mm-hmm. and shared that while he's going out there to surf, he was getting yelled at 
to get to get out of this country, go back to where he came from, all of these racial comments, racial slurs that they're saying, and just yelling at him at the middle of nowhere, and he's over here just trying to surf. So it's crazy that he is like me, you know, has lived here all his life. Right. And he has to hear all of those things out of nowhere. It's it's like he's not even doing anything wrong. Right. Like So that was the most recent I've heard people, but I know for a fact that even before this year that people I've seen people say it or I've heard people say it. I've seen them do it right in front of me and I have to be the one to tell them to back off, especially when it comes to my mom. I was very protective of that when I was working with her. I I worked with my mom at the dental office in high school. I was one of my first jobs and her having to explain to people how much their bill was and imagine health insurance, dental insurance. Oh yeah. People are nasty at the doctor's office anyways. It's already difficult enough as it is to explain that. And then imagine my mom having to try and explain to them why they owe this much money. And just because she has an accent that people would scream at her literally in the office because they didn't understand her. Right. They couldn't understand her. So I have seen that myself and maybe not recently now because I'm here in Tennessee, but she works at school. And I think about that because, you know, kids these days sometimes can say very hurtful things and they're very judgmental and very easy to be judgmental. But I know my, I mean, my mom, again, I've never seen my mom like go off on anyone maybe once and just kick them out and told them to leave. But I've never seen her act disorderly. I've never, she's always just been the type to just keep her cool as much as she can. But I can only imagine, you know, for the people out there who don't have a me, who don't have a me to help them translate, to help them communicate better. Um, and I met a girl here who, super awesome girl, she rides at Cycle Bar. My class is on Fridays, and we, mm-hmm. we talked, and I learned about her and her family. And she's Korean, and her family, her parents have a much more difficult language barrier than my family. Yeah. And she has to explain that she has to do all X, Y, and Z, all of these things because she has to translate for them. And there's a language barrier there. So it's so easy for people, especially when people speak too. I think that's one of the, the, the bigger things is you can't speak English well, but people understand you. They automatically have this image of you that you, you are no good. It's horrible. All right. Let's talk Atlanta because waking up, and seeing that and checking in on you because so take a step back like my my gut reaction was like this is where you're trying to be at the end of the year right like this is Mm -hmm. where some of your best friends live already Mm -hmm. like instantly for me I was like no you may not go you may come home and I will protect you here Luna I will make sure that Luna goes with you everywhere (laughs) you know Luna will literally protect me twice because she's she's right right. (laughs) Luna Luna's bigger than you (laughs) so like for me that was my instant gut reaction was like no you may you may not go there like you're not allowed to absolutely not like I have to protect you but like, what was your gut reaction? Like some of your best friends who are Asian Americans do live there. Like, you know what it, like, when did she move? She just moved there. It was like a few months ago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Lendl moved um, last June. Yeah. So like last what, June, almost there. So I will be honest when I first read, when the news started coming out, it was late. I want to say Tuesday night, I think it was. Yep. And 
I didn't, it didn't dawn on me exactly what was happening because all I kind of saw was an, uh, an Atlanta shooting, which it didn't really, I didn't know how big this or what had truly happened because I have actually seen a lot of news about more and more Atlanta shootings happening in certain areas. And so I thought it was just another one of those. I didn't know what exactly was going on or what exactly happened and how crazy this was with a shooter. I thought it was like, oh, one of those just drive-by shootings that I've seen multiple times on Instagram that people report about Atlanta. But, but then when I woke up on Wednesday and I'm reading more and more news articles, but it's a guy who literally drove across town to two different spas to shoot and kill Asian women. That's when I got, for the lack of a better word, hit the fuck off. Yeah. And it didn't, the first post I said was, I think people need to read this and need to understand what's happening, what's going on. But then what made me even more pissed off was why do I have to, I have to text my friends that live in Atlanta and family, even not in Atlanta to say, Hey, be safe out there. Simply I think I did that what they look like. for a week. I mean, you just never know these days in this world, right? which is crazy. But that made me so upset that I was like, I have never really had to do this before. And again, people are, I think for me personally, you know, I can handle myself. I have not experienced that because again, I'm an American, right? I right. sound American. I can speak really good English, but for our families that don't, mm-hmm. so I imagine that's my grandma out there right. and, or my, my elders and my mom and my and my uncles and everyone, it could be them. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's where my mind first came to is like, my friends in Atlanta, we've all grew up here. And one of them was, I actually lived, used to live right down the street from one of those ones, which was even scarier. The fact that it's, it's happening so close to them, I couldn't even imagine that because I'm here. I'm in Tennessee. Right. But that was where my initial gut reaction was at first was, I can't believe that I just had to do that. That I, the first thing that I had to text everybody was, everybody please be safe out there because you don't know who this guy was, if he was by himself or if there's a group of them or if there's more people who are out there who want to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where it got scary. And then it's not just my friends in Atlanta, but I have friends in LA, I have friends and family in San Francisco super heavy Asian population in New York. I have right. family in New York, in Long Island, and in, in, in my sister's in Seattle. And it's all, we're all over. My whole family and friends are all over the country. And it was just a really crazy awakening that that, that is the life that we live in, in in 2021. And that started the whole, for me, the processing of all of this, of why, why are we talking about this now? what the history was, that was the start for me of, that was when I worked, woke up Wednesday, I had an eight o'clock meeting at work in the office. And so I had to quickly get my shit together and go into work and like normal, you know, you're at work. And I, for me starting to process that by myself here was really hard. And, and I think it's, I try not to like, it's not that I'm not, I'm not trying to say this about me because I don't, 
it wasn't part of the tragedy that happened in Atlanta. I mean, I can't even only imagine the families that were those families where they have their loved ones die. Like that's, that's a different type of processing than what I'm talking about. I think, but it's also a disrespect, right. But it's a disrespect and well, to your heritage and yeah, like it it is a major feel. It made me feel even more isolated here, especially living in Nashville. Right. One, I don't have family here. Um, I don't have a huge Asian community here. There isn't a huge Asian community. There is one in Nashville, but I'm not immersed in, in, in it as much as I was back home. And so me walking into work that day with this heavy on my mind, mm-hmm. I couldn't shake it off. And it felt, it made me feel even more so as an outsider, well, exactly how I felt like when I was younger, because everyone knew it was all over the news, right? Like everyone knew about, everyone knows about it. There's so much that I had to like take into myself and like really think about before I had to say things and how I wanted to say things, because I could easily tell even from that day forward that people were, were tiptoeing around me, not either, either not mentioning it or I never actually really brought it up myself, except what I taught, because, you know, I get emotional. Right? <laughs> <What> I <teach laughs> it, it happens. I say, what's on, I say what's on my mind when I teach. I feel like that's As you should. Escape. And, and then I started posting more and more about it on Instagram. And I know people around me here, um, I had to really understand how to process because I've never done that before. And sometimes it made me think about it. And it's like, you know, it's not really directly impacting me, but then I'm like, but I didn't want to go back to the whole thinking of just keep your head down kind of thing and just keep doing what you're doing. And I don't know, maybe I'm just, I I took it in a lot more than some people did, but it's not, I also had to think about too, how people react to certain things and how people show their support are different. Not everybody reacts the same way that you do. And I learned that a lot with talking to a lot of people here. Um, I, I learned that I have, ironically, grown into talking way too much. <laughs> and have a voice. But there's others out there who naturally I see my old self being, I'm just very quiet and they're just keeping the thoughts themselves. But just because they are doesn't necessarily mean they don't agree with what you're thinking and saying. They're, they just have a different way of processing things. So... It was a weird, really hard and weird days right after. And it made me feel, to be honest, I felt very alone at one point mm-hmm. because I felt like I couldn't really talk to anyone here that could understand what I what was thinking and going through and how I was when I was growing up. And like, how does that relate to what's happening now in my family until and then I was like you know what the only other person here that I feel like I'd be super comfortable with is is Kate who rides at cycle bar and her and I had lunch and we talked and it made me feel a little bit better to kind of be able to release some of it but that's also when I realized personalities are different and how people process things are different so I feel like this is like the perfect segue because you're talking about how you processed it so let's talk about how you processed it in this amazing amazing ride that you are going to be hosting. I'm just, I'm so lit up about it. I'm so proud of you. I just think it's incredible. So tell us, let's start with, um, how did you get started with it? And then let's talk about everybody against racism. 
Okay, so I actually was planning this event even before Atlanta. Right. I had planned or started coordinating and just asking and talking about the idea of doing this maybe like the end of February, right before I went home to Florida. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, so a friend sent me a TikTok video of the guy who started, was the founder of this org. And it was talking about, he's actually a doctor, and it talked about, you know, you can't be, he did like, I don't, I'm not into TikTok. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the video I love sending was, you TikTok videos. Cool. Um, it was, like, what is this? What is this trend? I guess you're like, what? what you're like, oh, this is cute. <laughs> There's like a song, and he was like pointing, and like wars are popping up, and basically saying, you know, you gotta fight race, racism against Asian Americans too. And I thought that was really cool of him. So uh, he's a black doctor, and he um, was linking this page to everybody versus racism. And so um, I, I liked it. I followed their pages. And then, um, you know, another reason why this is more and more coming up, especially with COVID-19, is because I work healthcare. So for right. me, the, the issues that's, that's being brought up now about Asian and American hate crimes and all this stuff going on about COVID, and you think about how many people are in the healthcare industry that are actually Asian Americans. Because coming from a Filipino family, I mean, we have so many in my family that are in healthcare. It's so like, many. Like that is like where we, they push the kids to go into healthcare. I mean, right. I, I'm not clinical, but I'm still in healthcare. I'm on, I'm just on the business side. But I think about that, and I thought about that more. I'm like, I have families. I have families who are doctors, um, who are nurses, who are a few um, surgeons, PAs. Yeah. Like, yeah, a yeah. Few. <laughs> There's so many um, of of friends and families that are in healthcare. And if you think about COVID and, and their frontline workers who are having to take care of patients and treat people, but their racial comments back and they're getting all of these hate comments back to them while they're trying to treat you, um, it just made me start thinking about like, holy, this is, this is not right. right. So it literally just started with me. Um, so we followed each other's Instagram page and then... Um, Gerald had asked, hey, are you in Nashville? And I was like, yeah, I actually live in Nashville. And I knew he was a doctor. I said, oh, what, um, what healthcare system do you work for here in town? And we actually end up working. We're, we're, we work for the same healthcare company based out of Nashville. That's so wild. Which is so wild. It's so ironic. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of days later, I'm not sure where it just popped into my head about um, we doing charity rides. But I was like, you know, let me just see. I wonder if this, this would be kind of pretty cool to, to partner with them for with Cycle Bar. So I had asked him if he'd want to do an, with this idea. And he said, yes, let's meet. Let's talk about it. We met one time. And then from there, it was kind of like, let's Come see on. where this goes. So we were just trying to plan something in the spring. And then um, we were kind of like in the process of like getting it all together. And then all of a sudden, Atlanta hit. And then after Atlanta... I was just so fueled up. I was just, I was like, let's go. We need to do this like now. Like this needs to be, mm-hmm. I mean, the timing of it was insane. Um, but, but we were already coordinating to do this beforehand. But because for me, I only wanted to do it because one, I definitely support the organization and what it stands for. It's supporting not just one group against racism. It's everybody. So everybody. the entire, the entire mission is to, 
get rid of racism and systemic racism in general for all ethnicities, no matter what you look like, no matter where you are. I mean, it's BLM last year. You've got Asian American hate crimes this year. Who's, who's to say who's next? We can't just, I think the reason why I, I was so into it was because I support everybody. And for me, it was a way for me to show my support for everybody. That I, that's why I was starting to get really invested in, in partnering with them. And one, you know, why not start with a company that lets us use our voice Exactly. to do this, this kind of thing. So it just kind of started and it's, it's growing. Um, I'm, I'm really excited because I don't know when this is going to get released and hopefully by then we have already dropped it on Instagram. I was going <laughs> to say, today, um, I'm really hoping that by the time we, we launch, we have details to we, we will because I'm really trying to drop it this week, but we just got the approval today for our outdoor location. And I am so freaking excited um, to do this. And I think it's more of, um, there was, there was a lot of like conversations that we had to do some good conversations, some hard conversations about what this really means. And, and I had talked to one of the other instructors about this and I wanted to make sure it was, I hate to say perceived, you know, perception is one thing, but, but then people had to kind of talk to me back to why did I, why did we ultimately want to do this anyways? And whether it's going to be big or whether it's going to be small, I think the most important part is we're making a statement and we're literally supporting this movement and it's not anything about one company or the other. It's not, it's not anything about promoting oneself versus another. I, I want people to be, who, who have, there's so many people who have shown so much support to do this just for the simple fact of we're making a fucking statement that we are collectively as a group, it is literally everybody versus racism, no matter who you are, no matter what color, no matter where you come from. And I think um, that's why we're, I mean, I'm literally every day I'm jumping up and down because I cannot wait to just make this happen and drop the release and drop the link for people to sign up. And I'm hoping that this is not where it's going to stop. It's not. I... I think everybody is very aware of how anti-racist I am. And last year was a very rude awakening. Um, This year, it constantly continues to be a rude awakening just because like I grew up as a privileged white American, but like, like you were saying with the names, like I have an Irish name, people could not pronounce my name and I ended up going by Katie. And it's really wild that when you think about it, we all end up facing similar things. So why the fuck are we still fighting each other on shit? Like just it, it is everybody against racism. We are one race if we continue to show up as one race, this is going to go away quicker and we are going to be able to enjoy everybody's heritage, everybody's culture. I love you. I wish that I could be there with you. You mean the absolute world to me. Um, You know how much you mean to me. I don't need to say it a thousand (laughs) more times, but I want to let you know that the pain that you experienced isn't fair. It hasn't been fair. It's never been fair. It will never be fair. And you're seen and they love you. And thank you for sharing. I, first of all, you already know I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you of all people have always been one of the ones that can help me talk through anything. Mm-hmm. So even though you're states away, 
states. You feel very close. <laughs> but I will, I will end with this. And I think one of the, the main things that I keep in my mind about finding my purpose and finding and figuring out why do I do things of what I decide to do, which sometimes are crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. But of all of this, of the outcome of whatever we make this, I only ask that for people who, it might be hard for people to have your way of thinking because you're so open and that's how you've been. But for others, they may not be, although they want to be, mm-hmm. that it's, it's okay to ask questions because yeah. it's better to ask questions than to make assumptions for people. And I think that's where the hardest part about having these conversations with people and open conversations like this is one, people don't know how to ask, or two, they don't know how to explain because there's an assumption that they should already understand. Mm. And I, I have seen myself where there's just, there is, that is what's creating even more of a divide between people and between cultures. And if people just learned to ask more questions versus making assumptions, I'm hoping, and I, the only thing that I would ever want to come out of this is if we just think about our future generation and I think about my nieces, we have to be the ones that make it different for them. And we have to be the ones that change this shift. And yeah. it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Not even in a year. But the only way that we're going to do that is if we raise our kids and our generation now to be more open open-minded and thinking the way that you do mm-hmm. is the only way that I feel like we're going to ever move right. through some of this that's happening. Thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate you. I love how we schedule this in a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, when can you record? I, I want to get it live on Monday. <laughs> I, I miss this. I miss everybody. I, I always appreciate everybody listening. And I think that's the only thing I could ever ask. So thank you guys for hearing my story. And if anyone else has any other random questions they want to ask me, feel free. Send them my way or send them to Katie or send them to Katie's mom. And she can send, send them to Katie's mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, like Camille said, you can absolutely reach out to her. Um, we're going to be here. We're going to be posting. Um, this is not a partnership that is going away anytime soon. The Hype Squad very much stands behind everything that not only Camille does, but also everybody against racism. So until next time, my name is Katie. This is Camille. And just so happy you took the time to listen. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you.